Hello and welcome to Talking Flutes. I'm down in Hove again with Claire Southworth. And for those of you who have asked what piece of music opens and closes this podcast series, Claire, can you inform them? Yes, it's the second movement from the Charles Beadle Suite. And it's a scherzo uh, and it's very light with lots of, of running notes. Quite a virtuosic piece in terms of the four movements. Quite a challenge, I think, to flutists, even in these days of, of technical advancement. But it's an absolutely beautiful, beautiful work. Out of all the pieces of music and recordings that you've done, what made you choose that one? Well, just because it's, it's light and, and gentle on the ear. Well, personally, I really like it, and I think it, it adds very much into what you're bringing to the flute-playing audience. So, this time, we are talking about scales and studies, of which many flute players, and I must admit in my past, I've found them to be very mundane and boring, but yet I know they're crucial to a flute player's development. So, can we start back to the basics, Claire? Why are scales, and ignore studies for the moment, but scales so important? Well, you could say that... Everything we play includes snippets from scales, arpeggios and related patterns. And these are the foundations from which your technique can grow. So they're hugely important. So the scales essentially help us to learn the range of our flute. And then they get our fingers moving in a controlled way. And that builds up our muscle memory and helps enormously with finger technique coordination of fingers, blowing, rhythm, timing, intonation, tonguing and key recognition. So they help us to understand and learn all our different keys, they develop our oral skills and they help us understand the structure of the music that we play. And one of the problems of being a flute player is that you're only looking at one line of music, whereas if you were playing a keyboard instrument you can see all the harmony beneath. So Learning our scales and related patterns help us understand the structure of what we're playing. From a personal perspective, that was always the bit that let me down in my, my associated board grades when I was going through them many years ago, was the scales, in that I would only ever try and practice them nearer the exam because, to be honest, I only wanted to play songs, tunes. Yes, well, you could say that about about anybody I would, I would think and it, it doesn't stop after you've done your associate, associated board exams because I remember at, uh, at college we had to play extended scales so you'd start on your tonic you'd go shooting up to top C or D or B back down to low C and then back up to your, up to your tonic and I think we as flute players at the Royal Northern we were the only department that had our own individual scales class and yet remember the head of department saying we were the worst at playing scales within the college. We weren't learning in a relaxed way. We were feeling that we had to learn them, we had to play them, they had to be right. And when you have to get it right, you tend to go wrong. So I think it's far healthier now to use snippets of those scales and to change them. So a scale is just a sequence, and sequences are hugely important in, in developing our technique. So a sequence can be as slow as you want to as fast as you want. Changing the keys, changing the articulation, changing the dynamic, the colours, the inflection. I mean, anything you can think of, you can change. 
and make it a little bit more personal to what you're playing at that particular time. And of course, if you can play it slowly, you will eventually be able to play it fast. And if you take a, an extended scale of, of three octaves, there's, there's no piece of music I know of that includes that particular pattern, but the Sony piece of music includes a portion of that scale. So you have to try and mix it up and make it a little bit more fun. So it's only later life when I, I sort of turned myself around and became almost a scaloid to understand that, and you touched on briefly, that when you said about muscle memory and recognition. So if you practice your scales and you practice your scales assiduously and you know them inside out, when you see those dots on a piece of paper, then your brain, I would presume, recognises them and you can then read ahead? Yes, you recognise the patterns and that's why you have to mix it up and make sure you get through all your keys and so that the actual reading of the music becomes easier. So I could say that, you know, in terms of practice, I could give you maybe a few key points to think about. Sure. First of all, play very slowly at first, because that allows you to develop this muscle memory. Then vary your articulations, rhythms, speeds and keys. Next, make them beautiful. Make sure you have your best sound. Make it the best possible sound so they are beautiful, melodic, musical. And so you play them as if they are the most beautiful tunes. Don't sacrifice your sound for speed and then change the patterns to make them more fun. That's really hard when you're just trying to get your scale practice out of the way, isn't it, to actually take it as an important part of your daily practice routine. Absolutely, and I'll tell you how how I... I went about this in completely the wrong way when I was in my first year at college. I said in the, I think in the first podcast that I used to practice six hours a day and I would leave my scales till the last hour and to reward myself I would be able to sit down to play my scales. Um, but I was always so tired by then that it was, it was never really constructive practice and I just tried to get through them as opposed to try and work out how to play them and how to make them useful for for my own flute playing. So I think the best thing is to try and incorporate them into every sort of 15, 20 minutes of flute practice. Play a scale, but play it in a different way. Don't always start from the bottom and go to the top. Start from the top and go to the bottom. Play it in the mood or the style of the piece you're trying to play. So play it in a Baroque style or play it in a in a romantic style. Always try and mix it up. You can mix the tempo up and put it into jazz style. and Absolutely. Any genre you want. So I understand that scales are really important and I certainly hope that our listeners do, even though many of them listening will really not like them. I think that is a bit like going to the dentist, isn't it? You know that it's a necessity, but sometimes the thought is actually worse than going. Well, you have to change the mindset. You have to think about them as being fun and they're a means to an end. Which going to the dentist is, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, so we've got our scales and then studies. Now, studies, I know, is all-encompassing. But I remember something that you wrote, a book that you wrote years ago, that I bought just because of the name of it. And it was called, if I remember rightly, Flute Aerobics? Yep, Flute Aerobics was the, the first book I had published. And that was 
a collection of my warm-up exercises. So it was in three sort of distinct parts. It was tone, finger technique and articulation. And it, it sort of came about because I was, I'd started my own flute course up in the Lake District. And we had this magnificent big house overlooking Bassenthwaite Lake. And before I started each day, I liked to, to warm up. And I realised that if I went to practice, everyone in the house would hear me practice too. So I had to invite everyone into my warm-up. So we had this huge room at the top of the house. And I just went through my exercises with everyone on the course. And then what I did, I, I printed it all out and gave everyone a booklet to take home with them so that they would remember the exercises. And... It was my husband that said to me, why are you giving all this out? Why don't you put it into a book? And so the idea was formed. Already at the flute course, I called it aerobics because that's what a lot of people were doing at that time in terms of keeping fit. So this was our version of, of, of aerobics, but for the flute. And Jonathan Marlett at Just Flutes was, had just started doing some publishing. And he said, oh, well, if you put this into a book, he said, I'll publish it. So that's what happened. So in short, it's a, a flute workout to actually begin the day. It's a flute workout to begin your day. So that was your first publication, Claire, which came about by accident, really, by the collection of all the bits you were giving out to everybody else. I suppose you could say that, yes. <laughs> what have you done subsequently? Well, I thought I should bring out something a little bit easier. So that was called light aerobics. And then following on from that... Uh, because of my love of sequences, I bought out a book called Sequentials, which we've used in the curriculum at the Royal Academy for 17 years. And then more recently, I wrote a book called The Expression of Colour. And that's, I will talk about that in later podcasts, but that's all about how to shape your sound and to make it more interesting. So in terms of traditional study books, what's out there, Claire? Well, when you're sort of first starting out, or you've maybe been playing a year or so, the uh, Marcel Moy's 24 Little Melodious Studies are, are fantastic. The studies to, to, to learn, and they teach you about musical grammar, going through all the keys. I mean, most study books follow a format of going through all the keys, and they pinpoint a particular aspect of technique. So one might be legato, another for articulation, maybe one for chromatics another one for intervals so there are so many books out there at the at the conservatoires we 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 have a sort of a basic set of study books we use like the Altes mm -hmm. study book Seussman a lot of Moy's books Anderson especially <laughs> Opus 15 Opus 63 more contemporary books include Damas's first book of 24 studies and Lorenzo, there are two books of Lorenzo, one called Caprices and the other one called The Nine Gross Studies. Gross as in big, not gross as in horrible, but in fact they are pretty horrible. Uh, very, very difficult. It's probably the most difficult study book out there. So for up-and-coming and aspiring flute players, obviously scales are important and they will know it's important, but the benefits of studying and investing time in specific studies cannot be underestimated 
No, because what happens is that if the, I said a study will pick a particular point of technique and then you've got a whole study, say, doing chromatic scales. So it's a more interesting way, say, of learning your chromatic scales or be a whole study on double tonguing. So that it's more extended than that little bit of double tonguing you might have in one particular piece. But when you're doing long note study and you're opening a book or a, an exercise book where it's very hard to focus on what you're doing and what you're listening to. What advice could you give to somebody when they're... Obviously, the sound is so important to a flute player. Technique is important too, but the sound is what differentiates us all. How can you focus on long note practice? And how important do you think it is? Yeah, well, it, it's also incredibly important. And the mind wanders. I used to find that I was playing long notes and thinking about what I had to or to have to go shopping for, you know, the hour later. And you have to keep bringing your mind back. So it's, it's like doing mindfulness so that you can sort of forgive yourself if your mind wanders off a little bit, but bring it back so that you then bring your focus back to what you're doing, how you're sounding, how you can improve it, what shapes you're, you're getting your mouth in, and so that you are more aware so self-awareness is a mm. big factor in in practice and would you recommend people record themselves whilst they're Always. doing it yes not every day but on a regular basis record yourself so you have an idea of what you're doing and how you sound so you become like your own teacher so to conclude this podcast claire we forgot last week to give your website address for people to find out more about you Yes, my website is www.clairesouthworth.com And don't forget you can supply questions on scales, studies to Claire directly at flutepodcasts at gmail.com So there's nobody to do podcast nine questions because we did that with you last week. So Well, we shall turn the table and do them on you, John Paul. Oh, that's not fair, is it? I haven't prepared for this at all. Good. So let's see what we get. So what is is your favourite genre of music? Do you know, when I was growing up, I thought it was classical. And growing up in the 60s, I didn't really hear the music of the 60s. And certainly the 70s and 80s, I seem to have been a bit backward. So what type of music... I, do you know, I, my mind is now open to everything. A bit like me then. <laughs> yeah. Um, and who is your favourite musician? I have to credit a guy, uh, probably one of the most famous flute players that's ever lived, Sir James Galway, for being my favourite musician, purely because he made my mum cry. I came downstairs one morning when I was eight or maybe nine, and my mum was a tough nut, and she was crying. And I asked what was making her cry, and she said, listening to this on the radio. And it was James Galway playing London Derriere. And that image of the power of music, how that could create and make my mum cry, stood stood with me forever. He was the reason I started. So I suppose favourite musician has to be Sir James Galway. Okay. And your favourite country? I've been lucky enough to go all over the world, but Italy. Everything about Italy, I love. I love the people. I love the beautiful language. I love opera. I love the music, the food. You can just keep me going. My favourite places are Rome, Venice. It has to be Italy. Well, we agree on that one then. And 
Your favourite piece of music? Uh, favourite piece of music that's easy for me. It's the Ebert Flute Concerto. Purely because when I first went to my audition with the wonderful James Dow, who's sadly not with us, I played the Ebert First Movement. And he sat there, and when I'd finished, he looked up and said, how do you think that went? And I went, oh, it went very well. And he went, didn't do anything for me. He said, now play the middle movement for me. Make the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. Now, I was, as I said earlier, I was a bit of a scaloid, and I thought that to play fast would impress people. And that middle movement, the eBay, is so beautiful. And later in uh, my flute playing career, I got to appreciate how beautiful it was. So even though I've been lucky enough to play lots of pieces, I suppose the eBay is the one that means the most to me. Okay. And your hardest flute piece? Ebert. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And your most memorable moments? Playing the Ebert. <laughs> okay. I, I'm on track. Playing the Ebert in a beautiful cathedral in Spain, a town called Hucca. Wonderful. What's your favourite food? Oh, it has to be my mum's roast dinner on a Sunday. Okay. And who would you invite for a dinner party, dead or alive? You've got three choices. Oh, that is so wide. Um, uh, do I have to be quick on this one? Um, Stephen Fry, because I think he would be just the most amazing person to have around the table. Stephen Hawking, just because it's Stephen Hawking. And the third person, oh, that would really get me. Um, uh, I suppose the third one would have to be the great Robin Williams, who's sadly not with us, because I would imagine having Robin Williams and Stephen Fry around the same table, I think I'd be crying so much with laughter. Yeah. Certainly be an interesting conversation. <laughs> Thanks, John Paul. That's, thank you, Claire. I wasn't expecting that. So, to conclude this week's podcast, I'd just like to say thank you once again to Claire for inviting me down to her home in Hove. And to say that next week, we are going to be talking about choosing your flute. So, make sure you join us. Talking Flutes is a Trevor James Flute podcast production. More information can be found at trevorjamesflutes.com.